My name is Katherine Liu, and I'm a senior in high school serving with the SALT student and leadership team here at Lake. Our scripture reading today is from Psalms 8. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of your children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than angels and crowned them with your glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Catherine is one of the more, most remarkable young student leaders that we have. I, I hope you'll get to know some of our high school students. And I know Catherine has to go up to the high school area, but I just love her and, and our students. We also have today with us a whole group of folks who are here that I taught earlier uh, when I went to China and some of the business leaders who came in and they're sitting up here. We want to welcome all of you from, from Beijing area and so forth to, to Lake Avenue Church. We, we have a lot of Mandarin speakers here in our church. Three of our four string quartet players can speak. So you have to find one another. Our pianist cannot speak Mandarin, just to let, to let you know. Well, today we come to the heart cry uh, that I'm calling uh, identity. It's those who am I questions. Now, I, I just have to tell you, you know, I grew up in a little town in, in the Appalachian Mountains, and we didn't have many profound discussions about personal identity. I mean, I think we thought about the questions, but whenever people came up to me and said, who are you? They weren't ready for an existential debate about my, uh, my identity. They wanted to know who my parents were. That's, that's what they wanted to know. So in some ways, as I've thought about this, I've thought, is this something that's really a significant issue for the world that we are in. And I'll tell you, in my almost 10 years of living here now in Southern California, I have had to come to recognize that this question of identity, who am I, uh, why am I here, purpose, purpose, meaning in life, is one of the central questions that uh, just penetrate in the hearts and minds of Southern Californians. So it's really important for us to think about this and to see that God's word has something so significant to say about this, especially in Psalm chapter 8. Now, to help you to get into this, this is where those uh, post-it notes are. I hope that nobody stole those or put those in your pocket. If so, pull them out. But right now, I would like you to take those out. Uh, take one and pass it down the aisle. Take one and pass it down the aisle. I want you to do something with me. I know you're not used to doing this in church, but I want you actually to engage with your pastor for a few moments. Um, here's, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to think personally about this identity question. Uh, who are you? I'm even going to put a slide up here to help you get started in case it's really hard for you to know how to start. I am. <clears throat> That's where you start. Now, don't write yet. 
Uh, I don't want you to put your family name there. That's too easy. Not I am a Waybright. I don't want that. Nor, believe it or not, I don't want you to put on there I am a Christian or I am a Jesus follower or even as we've sung, I am a child of God. You know I'm going to get there. After all, where are we? We're, we're in church this morning. You know we're going to get there. But I want you to think about, if, if you are really a committed follower of Jesus, I want you to think about what competes with him in terms of the core of your identity. What, what is it that might compete that if that thing were taken away, it would just be almost hard for you to even have any, any joy in your life. It, it might be... Uh, the school that you go to, I'm a Pasadena high school student, or I am a Maranatha high school student. It might be your job, I'm a pastor, or I'm an engineer, or it might be your role, I'm a mother because I value my family, or a father. It might be what you do, I'm a musician. Dwayne and I talked about this last night. What is it that might come right after those matters of your relationship to God that might sometimes compete uh, with him? So I want you, when you write that down, to put it in your Bible or just off to the side. Hopefully, you'll leave some of the sticky part on there so you can use this at the end. And now I want to talk about something that I usually don't do so much. Uh, but uh, before we look at Psalm chapter 8, I feel like it's very important for us to think about how people in our world think about these <clears throat> identity issues. Now, it used to be, I mean, people didn't really write or talk so much about uh, personal identity issues until the last century. And the reason was uh, that for so many centuries, all over the world and almost every, among almost every people group, when you were born into this world, uh, your identity was pretty much fixed. So uh, I put up here a slide for you, what I want you to see. Uh, when you would be born, you would be born into, uh, often into your family home, you would often be born and die in the very same house. You would live in that community almost all of your life. You would almost marry someone within your community. It would often be arranged. Um, you, all, you had to marry within your class economically. Uh, sometimes you have these things about marrying across uh, economic classes, and, and, and that became very hard. Um, your name was often fixed. I am a Peterson in Scandinavia, child of Peter, uh, Armenians. Uh, Lazarian, child of Lazar, I guess. <clears throat> but um, so those kind of things were often fixed, and it was you, even your your religion was so often set and very hard to break out of. Now, people who were born into those settings often tried to break out of those. <clears throat> excuse me, just a moment. <clears throat> Thank you. Often tried to break out of those confines, but found it very hard to do so. So there are so many stories in every culture of people trying to move out of that identity. Uh, prince and the pauper. Stories of, of a prince uh, or, or, or a princess wanting to marry a peasant. And especially sometimes people who would come, let's say, to faith in Jesus, wanting to be able to worship. But I'll tell you, it was hard. It was hard to do that. Which brings me to the next thing I want you to see. America seemed to make a difference, and I think the reason why in Southern California matters of our identity are so important is partially because of this. Many people came to the United States precisely because they wanted to break out of those confines. You know that, don't you? So, so many of the immigrants came to the United States specifically because they'd come to faith in Jesus. 
And they wanted to worship Jesus freely with, without the restrictions of their culture and, and the, often of the state religion that was there. So they came here to find that kind of freedom and many others came for other reasons. Wanting to get an education that they couldn't get in their home. Wanting their children to be educated. That still happens, doesn't it? Uh, wanting to start a business, uh, wanting to work in a different field from their parents, all of these American dreams that were there. So in doing so, I think sometimes the way people used to identify themselves, they said, well, who am I now? And I think we became a little bit confused about that. So I even found a cartoon that I thought might help you to see this. <clears throat> it's that old, age-old debate between is a, a tomato a fruit or vegetable? So I, I like this cartoon. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be a fruit, but I feel like a vegetable, <laughs> you know. I, I think sometimes we have that kind of inner conflict that's going on. Um, now, so I've thought about this. For most of my life, growing up here in the United States, when I've heard people talk about their identities, they have talked about uh, external things. And so I have another slide just to help you to see this. These external things on the outside that speak into who we are, the occupations that we have, the, the accomplishments that we have, the, the, the education that we get, the, the job title on our business card. I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to do it again. I have a slide for you to see it. <clears throat> this is my business card. Did you see it up there? Greg Waybright, Ph.D. <clears throat> Senior pastor, Lake Avenue Church. That's who I am. Well, I am senior pastor. But see, the problem is, is, is if that's my core identity, someday I'm not going to be that. And someday even that PhD is not going to matter one bit when I go down into the grave if that is my core identity. When, when I'm no longer, if I, if I identify myself, my core identity, I'm a senior pastor of Lake Avenue Church. Someday when I'm not that, then who am I? See, I've preached to you about this before, haven't I? We need a core identity that is not temporary, that nothing in this world can take away. And if any of those external things become your core identity, someday a time that's, is going to come when you're not sure who you are. So that brings me to the, the thing that I've begun to see. Uh, millennials in our world, the younger generation, they really have seen this in my generation, the boomer generation, kind of identifying ourselves by all these externals, how much I possess, you know, all the things I've accomplished. They've seen this and said, that's empty, that doesn't last. And so back when I was a seminary president, I began to hear students coming into seminary talking about becoming uh, missionaries or pastors in a completely different way. Uh, it, it used to be that Christians would come in and study for the ministry saying, I have sensed God's call external upon my life, and I simply must obey him. More and more over the years, I began to hear people say, I have this passion inside to do the work of a pastor or to carry the gospel to somebody else. And those passions obviously come from God. He made me. So who I am, I've got to be a person who pursues those passions because they reflect who I am. And if I don't do that, if I don't have the opportunity to, to use those gifts and those passions, then, then I won't be fulfilled. I cannot be satisfied. Um, I, I will tell you that, that there's a problem with that as well. And it's not just uh, 
those who are going to study to be pastors who began to say this. Uh, you may know that in all the big debate that is happening about things like sexual preference or uh, sexual activity, the core discussion is, is thinking this way. I am in a certain way. I must discover, and so I've called it self-discovery. I'll put this up here for you to see. Self-discovery. I must discover who I am inside. Christians will say uh, who God has made me to be. Those who are not might say who my genes have sort of dictated that I am. I must identify, discover who I am. I must be that, and the rest of the world must let me be that. And when I discover that, then at last, I can find my life, my identity. Now, I'll tell you, to most people, this idea that we can find out who we are by following our passions and discovering what they are instead of external things, it sounds better. Does that sound better to you? Uh, nobody's responding at all. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, it isn't really better um, because our passions change. They're often even misguided. They often are contradictory. Uh, for example, uh, you might say, I have, I have a passion to be a good father or a good mother. I'm going to invest my life in that. But at the same time, the next day you get up and say, I, I have a passion to be very successful in my career. And you begin to see that those two things clash and you're not quite sure which one you really are and which real passion is your main passion. And if you're with, not with me there, I can do something much simpler. You can say, oh, I have a passion for chocolate. And many of us do. But at the same time, I have a passion to be thin. Do you see how those passions contradict one another? I just want you to know that this cannot be the way that we can really live. By just saying, I'll discover what my passions are, I will become that, and everybody has to let me be that, and then I'll find out who I am. We must find something that is not driven by our changing passions, not, not focused on temporary kinds of things. And that brings me to Psalm 8. It is just so powerful. Brothers and sisters, this is a psalm worthy of being memorized. And so what it says, there's so many things I could say about Psalm 8, but I just want to get to its very main point. And it speaks to our identity. And essentially, here's what it says. Who am I? I am a child of God who has been made to glorify my Father. I am a child of God who has been created. The reason why I'm here has been to glorify the God who made me. When you read through Psalm 8, and I hope you have your Bible open to that, you'll see that there are just two main points. That's all. Uh, one is about God, who he is, and the second is about you and me, who we are. So let's just look at that. Point one, who is God? God, the psalmist David begins, God, yes, our God, is glorious. Did you notice the psalm begins and the ends with the very same way? Verse 1 and verse 9, very same words. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I've got to show you some things there. You notice it says, Lord, our Lord. There really are two different Hebrew words. If you have your Bible in front of you, you might be able to see it. It's hard to see it. Do you see one of them has capital L, then little O-R-D? 
and the other one has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. <laughs> We're doing our best to translate something that's pretty profound in Hebrew there. Uh, the first one, Lord, is, is this Hebrew word Adonai, which means God is the sovereign one, the powerful one. Nothing greater than God. God. And the second one is Yahweh, the co covenantal word for God that says, I love you. I, I know my people. I will never forsake you. You are in my heart. You are in my mind. When you put those two words together, it is so amazing, isn't it? It's really saying that the God who created the universe and the one who is sovereign over everything in our world and in our universe, Adonai, is also my personal God, one that I can call Father, one I can enter into his presence. It's this sh shocking but very real thing about the God whom we worship here. And that's what David starts with. He says, Lord, my God, you are glorious and majestic in all the earth. And then as you get into verses two and three, he just tells us how majestic God is. And what he really does is he takes you back to Genesis. I've got to put this down on the ground now. Um, otherwise, I'll have water all over myself. Um, he takes us back to Genesis 1 that talks about God creating uh, everything. And essentially what he does is he says, you are not only sovereign over this earth, but everything in the heavens, you've made it and you're sovereign over that as well. He stops for a while. He says, when I consider what, what you have made, I, I begin to see how great you are. So that's where he begins. He wants us to know how glorious, powerful God is but that God is also a God who knows you. Now, having said that, then, his second point is, and, and most of the psalm, especially verses 5 through 8, are all about who he has made you and me to be, our identity. And there in verse 4, you see the main question of Psalm 8, and I think of our society, what is a human being? That's really what he's asking there. What is a human being? Going back to Genesis, what is man? Who is Adam? All human beings, male and female. Who are we? So here, here's, I can almost feel it this way. And I think we can understand this even better than maybe David when he was writing it. He says, I just look out into the heavens. And I see you've made all of that. You're the God over all of that. And then I look at myself and I feel so little. I mean, who am I? It would be like all of our Caltech, JPL, uh, NASA scientists and people. When you look through it, I have a picture up here just so that you can kind of capture this thing. Is this from the Hubble telescope? You look through these telescopes and you look out and you see how big and vast the universe is. And you say, okay, the God that I believe in made all of that and is sovereign over all of that. And then you look in the mirror at yourself and you even know what you've done. And you say, who am I? And, and, and David asks those two questions. Who is a human being? that you are mindful of us, that you know us personally, and that you care for us. He found it so hard even to imagine. And, and essentially, God's answer is, I do know you. David, I know you and I have called you, and you can put your name in that place too. I know you personally, I am mindful of you, and I care for you. 
In the very language that he uses, he's going back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God created human beings in his own image. And notice this especially in our day, male and female. He created each of them in his own image. So if I would take that verse 5, I have made human beings just a little lower than the angels, your versions may say. Let me give you the way Brightian translation of this. David, I do know you. I do care for you. More than that, I have made you for a reason. I have made you to make my glory known to everything else I have made. And he begins to list all of that as you begin looking at this. Whether they are birds, whether they are fish, whether they are mountains. David, I have made you as human beings to be the height of my creation. I have made you the one directly under me to care for everything else that I have made. Because the word is not, I think, I've made you a little lower than the angels. That word translated angels is the word Elohim. It's the word almost always that is used when it talks about God as creator. And so what he is saying is sovereign God, the one in control of everything in this world, Adonai. My God, Yahweh, who loves us and knows us. You are also the creator of everything on the sixth day of creation, you made me, made us as human beings, male and female, in your image and, and have given us a responsibility to rule over and care for everything in our world. So if you put this all together, the God who made everything is mindful of you and cares for you. You are his child and he has made you for a reason to be mindful of and to care for every other person and every other thing that our Father has made. To glorify Him. To reflect His ways out into this world. That is, brothers and sisters, when you come to know Jesus as your Savior, that becomes your core identity, something that can never be taken away. You are a child of God. And, and the purpose of every day of your life is to care for all that God has made and to treat all the people and all the things that God has made the way that God has treated it. Because if you read Genesis chapter 1, when God had finished creating, what did he say about what he had made? He looked at it and it was almost with this sense of childlike wonder. He looked at it and he says, that's good. That's very good. But then as sin came into the world, so much was no longer very good. But he has planted us into his world to, to restore some of the beauty uh, and to sustain it and to maintain it. And I'll tell you, it changes every other part of our lives. Let me say this, though. When that becomes your core identity, to know that you're God's child, that can never be taken away, and that he's given you this purpose to glorify him, to make his ways known to this world. That doesn't mean that you and I don't have secondary identities. I am still a pastor. I really am. It's just not the core identity. Uh, I still am Caucasian. God made me that way. Yes, but, but it's not the core of everything. The core of everything is I'm a child of God made in the image of God meant to glorify God. Is that clear to you? It, it, it's the different thing about us as people and the way we view people. Now, what that means is everything else, every other identity needs to be surrendered to him, 
And sometimes some of those things that are very important to us as our identities might have to be given up if he calls us away from them. Um, but then how does it mean that we're supposed to live? If, if the core identity is that, that, that I'm a child of God, meant to glorify God, how do you live? And I, I've jotted down two things for you. Number one, it means that the ways and character of God should guide your life. That's what it means to glorify. It means to reflect someone else's values and ways. We are to reflect the ways of God in this world. You find that all the way through the Bible, that, that you and I have been meant to glorify God, and that means the main desire of our lives should be to know what God would have us to do and to live in a way that honors and pleases Him. Now, some people say, oh, that's too confining. But let me just tell you this. I find it incredibly freeing. That when I get up in the morning, different from so many of my ancestors, my first question isn't, how can I please my entire community? How can I live in a way that they won't criticize me? I don't even have to prepare sermons anymore that I have to think, oh, Lord, look at these different people who come to Lake Avenue Church. How am I going to please every one of them? I'm not going to be able to, right? How am I going to be able to preach a sermon to a group like us? It can only happen when the single most important desire of my heart and life is to please God. And the ultimate fear, the only real fear I have to have is that what I say will not please him. Then, then I know that whatever I do will not separate me from that core identity. Do you see? This? So my first question when I come to know the Lord is not, well, what's going to make everybody else happy? It is only, God, what will honor and please you? Now, now you might say, but wouldn't that make you treat people poorly if your main thing is to, uh, to, to want to please God instead of wanting to please your spouse or your, your children or your parents? No. Because when you live in a way that wants to honor God, you'll treat everybody else better. Do you believe me? Are you still with me here? Because what is the first command that Jesus gave us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second just flows right out of it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You're going to treat your neighbor, and that includes every human being that crosses your path who bears the image of God, and that's every human being. You're going to treat them in ways that just like God, you're going to be mindful and you're going to care for. Now, I just got to tell you, brothers and sisters, this changes every relationship that we have. And, and if we can grasp it, it, it will set us apart from the rest of our world. And if we can get it right, even in the midst of a polarized world in this political season, we're going to be able to see how we're able to follow and please the Lord in spite of the fact that the whole world is so divided over many issues. Uh, what do I mean? Okay, I'm going to walk right into this thing because I only have to fear the Lord, right? <laughs> All right, here we go. If you believe what I've just said to you, that every human being bears the image of God, every human being is valuable, and I want to be mindful of every human being and glorify God by caring, then when I, as a follower of the Lord, hear about or see unborn children being disregarded and killed, I cannot disregard that. 
and still glorify the majesty of God. So I, amen. All right. Those, there's all the ones on the right here. It's, you hear that and you say, well, pastor, we are. Evangelicals all, all say that. that and, and it's because of this that we say that. But what about this? When, when you hear a major public figure just abusing rudely, crudely, all women. You cannot disregard that. I cannot get up in the pulpit and not say anything about that and still glorify the majesty of God. So now where am I? Oh, the, the pastors move over into the left now. No, I haven't. I'm just telling you that you and I take our orders from someone else other than the ways of our world, and that is from the Lord. And even in the major issues that are happening in our country about violence that I find are separating us as I've been meeting with pastors in our community, I cannot on one side hear the cries, pain of our families of color when they see their young men Uh, dying at the hands of law enforcement in our country. I can't disregard that and still glorify the majesty of God that is in in those families. I can't do that. On the other side, I can't hear again that yet again this week, even yesterday in Palm Springs, some of our law enforcement officers who are wanting to sustain uh, peace and justice in our world, that they were disregarded as even being human. They're just a, inherently a part of something that's evil and, and therefore we can, we, we can kill them. I can't disregard that either and, and glorify the majesty of the God who made them all. You see, these are the things that have to guide us. This is why Christians often just don't march by any other drummer in this world. Why, why when we hear a polarized world that God has put us in that we don't say, I don't fit either place very well. Because we have a different king, we, we, we are a part of that kingdom. And I'll tell you, you'll see this. This shapes almost everything we do as a church. Sometimes people come and wonder, why do we spend so much time uh, investing uh, resources in trying to help families uh, get out of the pattern of homelessness in our, in our relationship to Door of Hope? Why do we recruit you so often to get out into the community and mentor kids in the public schools? Some of them finding it really hard to try to get out of gangs and and drugs. And why do we do that? Why why do we care when there's so many people who get out of prison and they re-enter into our neighborhood? And we have to say, we can't just ignore that. Do you see it's consistent with our very identity as followers of the Lord? That, That we are God's children that even when we've walked away from him, he is mindful of us and he cares for us and he sends us out into the world to be mindful of all that he has made, especially the people made in his image and to care as God has cared for us. It sets us apart as his children. And I'll just tell you, not only will we uh, treat people differently, we will treat everything that God has made in the world differently. And so the other part that I think that's how do you live as one who's a child of God who's going to glorify God, you're going to be mindful of and care for the rest of creation. Why? For it is our Father's world, and he's told us to care for it as he cares for it. 
So essentially, when you look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God turns to human beings and says, let me tell you who you are. You are created to have dominion over the works of my hands. That's everything that he made and it describes there in Genesis chapter one. Now, for some reason, this message to care for whatever is happening in the rest of our world is something we're almost afraid to talk about in our evangelical churches as well. And so I thought I'll just talk about all these things on one Sunday morning. What, what, what do you think about that? Now, I've asked myself, when it's so clear, I mean, in the very first mandate given to human beings, you are my caretakers over all the works of my hands, why is it that it's so hard for us to talk about it? I think it's sometimes because we take our uh, impetus from the world rather than from God. And when I ask God, how would you have me to live? One of the things he clearly says is, when you see what I have made being abused or destroyed, step in and care for it. Well, I decided to get some help from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I needed to get outside of uh, my American commentaries that never even talked about this, even in Psalm 8. So I pulled up my Africa Bible commentary. I, I really love it. Um, and, and, and Psalm 8, they had a whole section on this, written by Kenyon uh, George Kenoti. He, he talked about the fact that, that God's people who'd come to Jesus in Kenya have been involved in, in trying to take care of what's happening in their world. And he said, in recent years, we are beginning to see the loss of our forests, the pollution of our water, the loss of fish, and the ra rapid changing of the climate. And so what he did was he called the Church of Jesus Christ in Kenya and throughout the continent of Africa to continue to see the care for God's world as central to glorifying God. I say the same to us this morning. God means for us to reflect his ways to our hurting world, so damaged because of sin. God looked at people and said, I've made you in my image, and then he saw people walk away from him. He found a way through the death of his son who defeated even death by his resurrection, to be able to restore us and to again make us people who reflect the glory of God to his world. He, he saw the sins of people leading to the destruction of everything else that he made, and he calls his children to go out and be mindful of people, of the rest of the world, and to care for it as God is mindful of you and me and cares for us. So again, as I did at the very beginning of the message, may I ask you this question? Who are you? I'll put my, uh, this question, I mean, this comment up there. I am. How did you answer that question at the beginning of my sermon? Uh, maybe there's something now you would like to add to it. The, the question that I think really is there is, what is there that you're drawn to in your life, that you would find it very, or are finding it very hard to give up if God were to call you to do so. I mean, it might be a sin, right? That, that, that it's been so much a part of your life, you just don't want to give that up. Are you willing to put that down and say, that, I'm going to resurrender it to you today, Lord. I need your power, I need your help, and I'm going to trust that your power is greater than that. And it is. 
Uh, it might be something you just love to do. Uh, again, uh, to be a musician, to be, to be a pastor, to be so many things. It might be something that's really good. And yet you know that even that thing has to be willing to be surrendered to God. Otherwise, it becomes an idol, right? An idol, something that's the first thing in your life. Will you take just a moment to, to fill in again that post-it note that you have? I'll ask our musicians to come forward now. We're going to be singing that wonderful song, and I want you to, to sing along as, as you can. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. When we fear him, all other fears are gone. When we please him, we don't have to worry about being drawn back and forth between our passions and, and so forth. I am a child of God. Here's what I want you to do. You already see that on some of our, uh, from last night, we have some of the post-it notes here that people came forward to bring. I know we have a number of people up in the balcony. You can come forward and do this too, but you can also just walk, if you'll walk carefully, right up to the edge of the balcony and put your post-it note there. What I want you to do is to come forward and, and just have this to be a time of recommitment to God being your God. That your main identity is nothing else in this world, but that you are a child of God that, that will seek with his help and wisdom to glorify him in all that you do. And what I'd like you to do is to simply come up and as an act of recommitment, put that, that other potential identity right here on our prayer. You'll see in our prayer uh, kneelers here or there on the balcony in front of you, the, uh, the ledge that's right at the edge. As, as a recommitment to that first commandment, God, nothing before you, nothing in your place. I'd like us to stand now and, and this wonderful song that is... A, really flows out of this. I don't have to be a slave to fear. Here's who I am, Lord. I am a child of God. And as God leads you, just step out from wherever you come and bring that recommitment and put it here as a statement to him.